welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening. Technology continues to impact all areas of our lives, both our personal lives and at work. And technology is having a significant impact on several professions, including the law. Understanding the importance of training lawyers to use technology to better serve their clients and educating lawyers on the social implications of the use of technology in our society, the NCCU School of Law, under the leadership of the late Dean Brownie Lewis, launched the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center in 2021. Under the leadership of our recently appointed Dean, former Justice Patricia Timmons Goodson, the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center continues to prepare future lawyers for 21st century practice and to educate them on the potential harms technology can pose to marginalized communities. On tonight's show, we'll talk with two wonderful members of the TLPC team who are also alums of NCCU School of Law, and we'll talk with them about their work in the center, their practice areas, and their thoughts on the continuing impact technology will have on the legal profession and our society. So we have joining us for this discussion, attorney Diane Littlejohn, who is the executive director of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center. In addition, attorney Littlejohn maintains a private practice focusing primarily on intellectual property and family law. And she is a proud 2010 graduate of NCCU School of Law. Also joining us is attorney Cedric Pickett. He is one of our tech law fellows for the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center. Attorney Pickett holds certified information privacy professional certifications for the US and the EU. He is a CIPP trainer and he spearheads the data privacy specialization for the Tech Center. And he is a proud 2018 graduate of the law school. So thank you both for joining us this evening. Thank you, it's nice to be here. Yeah, thank you for uh, inviting us. So we're going to kind of take you all back. Uh, first question that we have for you is, what made you decide that you wanted to go to law school and be a lawyer? And attorney Little John, we'll start with you. I think for me, I think I've always kind of known I wanted to be a lawyer. I was about 12 or 13 when I kind of knew that's kind of what I wanted to do. I used to watch Perry Mason with my dad and all these little court movies and stuff. We used to watch Cosby Show, of course, so I saw Claire Huxtable and was like, oh, this looks like a really fun profession. So I always kind of knew that I wanted to do it. I went to undergrad and it was um, really just burned out after undergrad. I needed the break. So I worked for four years and then I said either I do this now or I need or before I get too old. Um, so I took four years off and started law school at 26. And here I am. All right. Excellent. Thank you. And attorney Pickett, what made you decide to go to law school and be a lawyer? 
Uh, I think the big picture for me was that I was interested in working in corporate corporate America and um, uh, using it as a way to start my own uh, investment company. So uh, I did not. I, I've always had an interest in business and entrepreneurship. And um, as I was uh, going through life, going through school, and eventually going through uh, uh, going through the MBA program, uh, my wife brought to my attention that I should look into going into law school. And I thought that was weird. I was like, why would I do that to myself? Why, why, why would I go to law school? And um, she noticed that I had an interest in a lot of legal shows and I, was, I had an interest in politics. And so I started to look into um, the career paths of folks in law. And I noticed that one of them was in the corporate field. Um, one of the um, uh, one of my favorite uh, historical figures is an individual by the name of Reginald Lewis. He is a business, well, he was a businessman. Um, and I think back in the early 90s, he was the first African-American to leverage like a $900 million deal um, overseas uh, that was also leveraged. And um, with that deal, he ended up becoming the first African-American to, uh, I think, uh, be the CEO of a company that had like a billion dollars in revenue. Um, so... Uh, I know people are familiar with stories of folks like Mitt Romney, who had a business degree and a law degree and was able to translate that in the corporate world. But Reginald Lewis was doing that in the early 90s as a black man. And that kind of inspired me as well to kind of move forward in the legal field and try to use that as a way to climb up the corporate ladder um, and, and, and be a business person where I can help employ uh, more people in my community and, uh, you know, and, and, and help distribute wealth that way. Mm-hmm. All right. Excellent. So, um, Attorney Little John, you graduated in 2010. You were actually one of my um, mm-hmm. tort students. And yes. when I reflect back, you know, more than a decade ago and the impact that technology was having on legal education, um, in the legal profession, it wasn't that profound. Like we we certainly had, you know, personal computers, we had cell phones, but um, the infusion of technology and how lawyers practice and what we need to think about in terms of the social implications of technology, very different today than it was when you were a law student and certainly when you graduated and you started your own practice. Can you talk about how you developed an interest in technology and why you were interested in coming back to the law school to serve as executive director, the inaugural executive director of our tech center? Um, I guess the first question, am I interested in, I've always kind of been interested in technology. I've always liked gadgets and gizmos and all that kind of latest bells and whistles. I'd, probably, I'd rather I have like for gifts, like a tech gift versus like some jewelry, even though I do like jewelry, but I'm always kind of been more of a tech person. So I think that I was kind of like my initial interest in tech. And um, as a student here, I really enjoyed the school. I really enjoyed the the learning that I got mm-hmm. here. And I just certainly wanted to come and come back and serve um, the school as the executive director. I had been working um and trademark law, which I still kind of do that as we speak. And that's kind of tech focused area to some degree. 
And I kind of wanted to still kind of merge those practice areas, what I've kind of had experience in. And one thing I did learn during COVID is that, you know, we had to all go virtual. So essentially you had to, you had to leverage tech tools to essentially maintain a practice. You know, I learned more about practice systems, learned more about automation, things of that nature. So it was kind of a natural fit for me learning all those things during COVID those three years that we kind of had to do things much differently. And then coming here and kind of leveraging some of that learning and even learning more as um, the, the executive director here. Mm-hmm. All right. And attorney Pickett, you graduated um, about eight years after um, attorney Little John. You were also one of my students uh, in my con law class. And yes. we were we were getting into the technology, but it was still kind of, you know, early days and it was, you know, kind of pre-COVID. So uh, the legal profession had not quite embraced technology quite as much, nor kind of legal um, educators or law schools. But you developed an interest in technology and decided you wanted mm-hmm. to come back and um, support our students as a tech law fellow um, and an adjunct instructor with the Technology Law and Policy Center. So how did you develop an interest? Well, I developed an interest um, based off of just learning what my options were. Uh, when I uh, graduated, actually when I was at NC State as an undergraduate, uh, my first um, work study at the time, I guess well, you may call that internships, but my first work, work study was uh, at a technical department and uh, I basically fixed computers, um, you know, uh, worked with any networking issues. And uh, I found a, a, a real interest in that. Uh, I like doing things with my hands and I felt like I can kind of understand how to troubleshoot certain issues pretty well in, in the technology space. And um, as I graduated from NC State and uh, started progressing in, in my career, I've, I was doing things related to technology in some form or fashion. So I was either in uh, the help desk side and then I moved to a different company where I was on the sales side of technology. And then even in the same company, I started working um, with the sales team on writing contracts for um, uh, uh, things like work orders and terms of use and things of that nature. And um, and over time, um, as I was working in the tech field and I ended up going into law school, um, I kind of settled that aside because I didn't think that it was going to really interconnect that way. Um, I, I was familiar with the intellectual property side of, of the legal field, but I really wasn't interested in patents and trademark laws and things of that nature. And so it wasn't until after I graduated from law school, I learned about data privacy and um, and data privacy uh, certifications and how that intersected with my background in technology. And that's why I thought that these two can really these two passions can merge together as far as what I've learned in the legal in the legal side, as far as. Um, contracts and things of that nature, and then merging that with what I, uh, with my passion with technology, and uh, see where we can go from there. What are some of the um, advantages uh, that you found that uh, technology provides to the uh, legal profession uh, as students and as uh, practitioners? I would say as far as students goes, it, it's um, as part of my class, I teach a class called Law Practice Technology and essentially exposes students to tech tools that, that attorneys use out there in practice. And I think exposing them to those tools now gives them a leg up on um, the competition of their, their colleagues. I was having a discussion with a student today in class where she explained that she'd used some of those tools in her summer internship over the summer. So we kind of had a really good discussion about that. Um, but I think that that certainly gives them a leg up and it helps to automate the practice as well, helps to stream 
streamline the practice. It helps to also essentially uh, make things um, more value based for clients versus more money, you know, money based for the attorney. So you're still providing the similar same quality services, but at a cheaper, more affordable price to clients, which certainly makes clients more happy. Yeah. And just to add to that, um, I know Director Little John was mentioning how uh, with the COVID uh, situation that happened and it's still and we're still in that um, experience, uh, it forced attorneys to uh, utilize technology in a way to connect with their clients as well as continue to um, do business with the courts. But you often have to consider uh, contexts such as folks who live in rural areas who may not have access to certain legal services. Um, and the advancement of technology has also to help in those types of situations as well, where uh, uh, an attorney can continue to service their client and they may not have access to Wi-Fi and things of that nature, but we can find some other ways where they can uh, connect and continue to receive legal services. Well, doesn't this require a whole new learning uh, vocabulary for the uh, for the attorney uh, that uh, kind of forces them to get back into the uh, education uh, scene, which can be an impediment if you're trying to uh, maintain a practice? Uh, so, uh, Attorney Little John, let me start with you because you, you you're in practice and you mm -hmm. know some of the. Uh, uh the 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 weeds that are present uh associated with so uh, how how would you respond to that i think it most certainly does but i don't think it's not doable I, um most states i think there's 40 states now that require you to essentially have a technology um cle credit which is a continuing legal education credit to to be a practicing attorney you have to take courses in those things so certainly the bar exams or the bars of other states are essentially kind of knowing this is what was this is what is required so i think you certainly need to as an attorney have a duty to make sure that you are competent competent tech wise to some degree anyways um i do think that there's a learning curve but i think that you know many cle's uh, that out there there's bar providers that offer these courses cheap or for free i know that um nccu offers courses um for our uh, practicing attorneys that deal with tech issues. We have our summit coming up that certainly um, can deal with the digital tech issues and can help attorneys kind of become more broad based on the on this subject. But this is kind of the way that the world is going. We're going to have to kind of learn more about these tech tools and tech um, different ways to use tech. Unfortunately, we're going to be left behind as attorneys because the, the tech is not stopping. It's coming and we we can't we can't slow it down, unfortunately, or fortunately for some, you know, if you're an, an enthusiast. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Turn yes. And just to add to that, technology is constantly changing. So if you wait too late and then you try to get on one particular platform, um, the world may continue to spin and you're still behind. So I've always thought if you're an attorney, you're just in a you, you should have the, the mindset that you're always going to be learning something. Uh, for you to be at, at top of your craft. So whether it's in the business development side, whether it's on the teaching side or practicing side, and now uh, even with technology, you just have to add that as part of your repertoire. Um, and then also technology is always emerging. So it, uh, right now we're in a space where generative AI is a is a big part of the conversation. It, it wasn't like that six months ago. So it's just one of those things where if you're an attorney, you're in a profession where you constantly have to learn to stretch yourself. Um, and so and I'm, I'm pretty sure folks like myself, that's something where um, I'm willing to take on that 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 type of uh, challenge. But then again, I'm young, young, quote, um, <laughs> young in legal terms, quote, maybe. It, <laughs> so um, but I'm, I'm pretty sure if you're if, if you've been practicing a certain way for years or uh, decades, it may it may be an adjustment when it comes to 
um, trying to incorporate and understand emerging technologies, how that affects your clients. But it is something that needs to be done because it, it's, 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 it's affecting everyone. And just to add to that, clients are demanding it. They don't want to come to your office and sign a retainer agreement. They don't want to come to your office to make a payment. You know, when you could send it, you know, you know, via email, they don't want to take off work for those things. So certainly to have these tools available for them. I know in my practice before COVID, I was mostly having folks come in and sign everything. Um, but most everything I have, except for maybe like a pleading, you see it's signed virtually or paid virtually, you know, through links and, you know, devices and things of that nature. So certainly they can, they can essentially sign things on their phone. Now you can have a meeting on your phone now via zoom or similar apps. So certainly clients are demanding the convenience that technology tools give them as well. Okay. You're listening to the legal Eagle review and we're talking with uh, attorney uh, Diane Littlejohn, who is the uh, executive director of the uh, NCCU uh, technology law and policy uh, center. And also uh, joining us is uh, attorney Cedric uh, Pickett, who is the uh, Tech Law Fellow at the uh, Technology Law and Policy Center. We're talking about uh, law, technology, and the legal profession. And uh, we're going to take our break uh, right now. I want you to stay with us as we continue uh, this, uh, this discussion. So we'll be right back. Hello, this is Shantae McNeil, and I'm a second-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your weekly announcement. This week on the Legal Eagle Review, we discussed NCCU's Technology, Law, and Policy Center. The legal technology and policy area is growing due to many factors, including the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Some courts have had to shift to holding court sessions virtually and have implemented technology to accommodate these shifts. NCCU has partnered with Intel to create the Tech Law and Policy Center to ensure disparities within the tech field are addressed and that advancement and access thereof does not result in further marginalization of the African-American community. In addition, with advances in technology, newer areas of practice have emerged such as cybersecurity, privacy, and artificial intelligence. The center will produce technology-conscious lawyers who will use technology to support efficiency and ethical practice of law as well as increase access of legal information and services. As a leader in equity and diversity within the legal education community, NCCU will continue to use technological education as an instrument to aid critical thinking about the present system, as is the practice of freedom and transformation of the world. This is Shantae McNeil with the Legal Eagle Review, and this is your weekly announcement. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review. Thank you so very much for uh, staying with us as we uh, continue our discussion about uh, the law, technology, and the uh, legal uh, profession. And we're talking with uh, attorney uh, Diane Littlejohn, who is the executive director of the NCCU Technology and uh, Policy uh, Center, as well as uh, uh, attorney Cedric Pickett, who is the uh, Tech Law Fellow at the uh, Technology Law and uh, Policy 
Center. And we're talking about, uh, obviously, a, a topic uh, that, uh, you know, might, uh, should interest all of you uh, since uh, technology has been become such a big piece of all of our lives in so many different ways. And uh, so we have uh, two experts here uh, who are dealing with uh, helping us to better understand uh, this. And, 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 and the first, you know, a, a critical question that I have is the dangers of this uh, technology, because we, we hear so much about hacking and the ability of these super experts now to uh, bounce into uh, what is going on in the uh, technology uh, side and to uh, reinvent, uh, reposition, and to uh, restate. So can you kind of talk about some of the uh, dangers uh, that exists uh, with uh, with technology and how should uh, how should those dangers be addressed uh, within the profession? So uh, why don't we start with Attorney Pickett uh, and then go to Attorney uh, Little John? Well, and I, if if you are a law firm and you're not um, keeping up with best practices in regards to securing your client's data, uh, the that's that's going to be a problem uh, for several reasons. Um, one of the main reasons is that uh, you are a hub of personal information, uh, client information. And so uh, small law firms are, uh, they, they can be a target uh, for, uh, uh, they can be target for bad actors uh, to try to take advantage. Um, and if, uh, you know, some of the things that can happen uh, can include uh, ransomware. Uh, if, if you're if you're a listener, you're not familiar with ransomware. Uh, ransomware is a form of hacking where uh, your your data can be is encrypted or locked out. Uh, encryption just means that uh, the data cannot be seen by you or anybody else, and that data can be unencrypted, unencrypted or unlocked if you pay a certain you know if you pay a ransom. Um, so this puts that can put a firm in different types of situations, you know, very tough situation. Um, uh, and so that's one of the reasons why uh, you want to be. And also you have to be reasonable uh, with your protections in regards to um, uh, ethical standards that are that are expected out of the attorneys. Um, and, and yeah, and just uh, also just a good client experience. You know, if, if you have a firm that and the reputation goes out that, that you're constantly getting hacked. Um, then that can definitely affect your affect your bottom line and business as well. Um, so I'll I'll leave it there. I mean I could go go on and on, but I'll leave some uh, also for Director Lily John to try to tackle that question. I can certainly say from personal experience because I've had I guess a hack incident at my firm a few years back where one of my my paralegals she essentially was working virtually from home and answered the phone call and they said that they were Microsoft and that her computer had a virus on it and we needed to scan it. So she gave, again, they gave her some kind of code and she, she, you know, input it in the computer and it's doing its scan and downloading stuff. And then she, I think she had done her like she, and she calls me and she says, did Microsoft call you? Well, mind you, I don't use Microsoft computers, so they would never call me anyways, but they, they're not going to call you regardless. But in any event, um, I'm like, Microsoft is not calling you. It's a scam. I said, shut everything down. So I essentially had to like call my insurance company and we had to, we had to talk to the data breach council with the insurance company. They had to send them my computer. They had to wipe it clean. They had to clean it. They had to see if there were any breaches on there. And I had to notify 
clients, like hundreds of them, of any potential breaches. And they they narrowed it down to ones that they thought were the most vulnerable based upon the information they got from the scan. But essentially, it was a really huge hassle. I was really stressed out. Um, I'm thankful that no, that no information was compromised, but it certainly was um, an incident that was caused me great concern. And, you know, certainly part of that was my do, doing. I should have maybe advised her better on, you know, don't, you know, Microsoft's not calling you or, you know, you know, Mac is not calling you. But certainly it was something that gave me the pause. It caused me a lot of money. I had to send out letter, letters to all these, these folks. So certainly it was a learning experience for me and that it is real out there. And I know attorneys, you know, experience now like breaches with, you know, folks trying to spoof them with their, you know, real estate closings and they'll get these emails and they'll do wires to their trust accounts and they'll take the money out. And the firm owes hundreds of thousands of dollars to the client because it's been stolen by, you know, um, nefarious folks. So certainly technology is, is a great tool, but it certainly can be used for, for uh, nefarious purposes as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that raises, um, well, so many good issues and cautionary tales. And when we think about the mission of NCCU School of Law, like part of the key mission is to diversify the legal profession. We know that the legal profession is nowhere near as diversified as it, as it should be when it comes to um, race, when it comes to national origin, when it even comes to, to gender. And so many of our graduates are um, solo practitioners or small firm practitioners and technology can be incredibly helpful to help level the playing field in in certain ways um, for smaller firms that don't necessarily have the same types of resources for um, individuals. But what that also means is we've got to make sure that our graduates and and all lawyers Mm -hmm. are really keenly aware of these dangers. And again, that's one of the reasons why we're so excited about the Technology Law and Policy Center here. But can you two both kind of talk about the importance of the mission of the law school and how that feeds into the work that you do within you know, the center and supporting our students. And Director Littlejohn, let's start with you. Certainly, I think the center's focus is, you know, in line with what the law school's focus is, is to essentially work with social justice and to kind of um, bridge that technology gap. There's essentially, I, I think that um, there, I, I, um, as was stated previously, we don't have enough um, minority attorneys, black attorneys in general. And I think that we certainly don't have enough black attorneys in tech. So certainly the part of our program is to essentially diversify that space, expose students to areas of law they may not even be even thought about before. I think when most of our students come to law school here, they want to be civil rights attorneys, criminal law attorneys things of that nature, which are great honorable professions, but they don't have any idea, many of them don't, that there's a, other opportunities in IP and tech and privacy law, and that it could be very lucrative for them and offer them a different, you know, sort of perspective in, in, in a way of practice. So I certainly think that um, that's something that our center is working to do is to diversify that space, to, to close that gap, and to essentially bring students into, into a, an area that they may not have considered before law school. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um in addition to what Director Little John presented, um, I also think that it's good just to uh, let our students know uh, about the issues surrounding social justice and how that can affect uh, emerging technologies and how emerging te- technologies can create new issues that um, that we need to be aware of. And so, uh, when cases are passed like the Dobbs decision, which 
uh, remove constitutional protections for um, for abortion, um, our students need to have the understanding, okay, well, what is what does this have to do with data privacy? Does this affect anything in the tech field? Um, does this affect uh, health apps? And then it might just bring a whole new set of questions um, as far as how what just happened in the legal field affects what's going on in the tech field and that's how that's going to affect uh, uh, people within our communities. Um, another issue that uh, students can be aware of are issues such as surveillance capitalism um, or maybe even just ex uh, additional surveillance by the government. Um, if you know historically, uh, there's always been, uh, we've seen history of maybe the Black Panther Party, Civil Rights Party, uh, excuse me, Martin Luther King or Malcolm X uh, having additional surveillance from the government. And uh, our students need to be aware of how uh, modern day surveillance technology needs to be addressed as far as their protection if they're um, uh, if they are uh, promoting uh, a more egalitarian society, racial uh, racial egalitarian society. Um, also, uh, there's some other issues like uh, ads, for instance. Um, some students, uh, if if you are uh, let's say, for instance, on a computer and, uh, you know, social media and you receive certain ads, but certain, some people, they may have ads that address mortgage rates that are lower or, or higher based off if you're black or white. All that deals with your personal information. Uh, or you may miss out on job opportunities. There have been reports where if you are a man, you may see certain job opportunities um, they have higher pay than you were if you were a woman, just based off of that personal information. All of these things address um, social issues where it connects with our institution, and then um, and, and it helps our students um, be ahead of the head of their peers and be leaders in addressing those issues regarding emerging technologies and in, in any potential discriminatory practices from it. Well, let me just you know what 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 opportunities do you provide for uh, lawyers in the uh, communities, particularly uh, down east and the rural communities to uh, uh, learn how to use and uh, protect uh, themselves uh, in the uh, use of uh, uh, this technology. So we're currently working on that. Um, I was actually uh, invited to uh, uh, assist in the legal aid department. Uh, they have, uh, there's a North Carolina in, uh, Innovation Lab, and I will be part of, of a, a team of other professionals um, to help guide uh, any type of new new type of practices or new type of technology that will uh, help uh, citizens in rural areas as far as their access to legal um uh, legal services. So I'm in the very early stages of that. Um, and then uh, hopefully from, from that relationship, we can also use that to bring more awareness, um, maybe establish more um, programs with between us and legal aid to connect with individuals in, the, in that type of context uh, who, who needs more, uh, more resources in, in, in that particular area. Now we'll certainly say our summit that's coming in October on October the 13th certainly is a is a way to help more rural attorneys essentially learn about tech. I and mean, we it's going to be a hybrid summit, so you can either be here in person or you can certainly be here virtually. So, so folks that might be in Kinston can certainly um, you know, I guess, you know, zoom in essentially and you know, learn about technology tools and learn about um tech 
ethics and practice areas and things of that nature. So certainly I think that um, we can't escape just because we say, hey, we live in a rural county that may not you know, be as worried about tech. You can certainly, um, you know, if you're an NCCU graduate of the law school, you can certainly are supported that way. We also offer, you know, a, a CLE typically once a year, talks about um, a tech area as well, or, or, or it or implicates tech ethics. And certainly we want to make sure that all of our grads are reached and are, have a, an education based in tech to some degree. Yeah, and just to kind of add to that, some of the other programming that the, the center um, does. Um, so, of course, the Law and Technology Summit, as Attorney Little John mentioned, Friday, October the 13th. We've also done some back to school with your professor CLEs for the alums. We did that a couple of years ago. We'll be doing that again in November. We're in the process of planning a um, session with uh, senior citizens within the community and the North Carolina Department of Justice section on consumer protection to talk about technology and some of the um, specific threats that are targeted towards our senior citizens. Um, and, and, and there are more programming and sessions that the, the center will do um, because it's important that as far as the center, we serve our students, we serve our alums, but again, the mission of the law school as a whole, the mission of the tech center is also to serve the community. Um, both of you have been very engaged in the legal community. Um, you two speak quite often. You all are both members of different organizations. Can you talk about that aspect of your work? So that service aspect. So what do you do and why is that important to give back in those ways? And Attorney Little John, let's start with you. I would say that um, I've done several, um, I spoke at, at two conferences um, recently. I spoke at the ABA Tech Show. I also did a CLE um, involving a tech topic, NFTs in the metaverse. And certainly I think that um, essentially it helps to me to essentially impart what I've known just in the short time that I've been here and learn and onto other terms who may not have any idea of kind of how um, tech works. I think it certainly goes with the mission of the law school is essentially to serve and to give back as well. So certainly um, we want to make sure that we are good attorneys, that we, we're well versed in the law, but part of the, the mission is to make sure that we serve. So I think being a part of these speaker sessions, being a part of these um, CLEs certainly um, helps me to um, achieve that mission. And you also serve a role in the North Carolina legal aid community. Um, can you talk about your role there and also leadership roles that you have with the North Carolina Bar Association? Yes, we, um, with, the, with the legal aid community, um, as Attorney Fickett mentioned earlier, the innovation lab they have there, essentially, um, they have a board. So I've been, um, uh, I'm on their board. We'll be having some upcoming meeting here, here soon to kind of discuss how to move forward with, with um the board and what their initiatives are. Certainly um, that's a way to, to kind of, you know, build build or, or work on the access to justice gap. Um, that's kind of what Innovation Lab is working to do and to make things more accessible for folks um, via a legal aid perspective. And as far as with the NCBA, the North Carolina Bar Association, they have a small firm um, and technology committee. So I'm certainly on that committee. I have a leadership um, um, a position with that committee as well. Well, certainly it helps to kind of get, um, get on the ground floor of what actual practice attorneys are doing, the questions that they have. We host little, um, I guess, mini, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a CLE. It's kind of mini, like a lunch and learn um, once a month or once a quarter. Typically, we try to get those done on various topics to help attorneys running small firms or, and solo practices, kind of make sure they stay abreast of technology tools, tips and tricks, things of that nature. 
And Attorney Pickett, you do a lot of uh, research and writing and stay very connected on, on social media to share the information, particularly in the data privacy space and the cybersecurity space. Um, why is it important for you to engage in that way? Uh, I try to engage in that way because uh, I want to bring awareness to uh, number one, the issues of emerging technology and law. Um, I also want to uh, let potential uh, students who are interested in the legal field to know that this is an option. Um, one of the things that um, Director Little John mentioned earlier was that uh, we want to, as an institution, uh, expand uh, what are the possibilities that uh, you can do as a lawyer if you're if you decide to come to law school? And so um, those movies why I like to kind of post what we're doing on social media is to get the younger crowd um, interested in issues related to emerging technology and how we as an institution can help bring you um, bring you up to speed and be able to practice in that area. All right. You're listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking this hour about technology, the law, and the legal profession. We have with us as our guest in our Zoom studio, attorney Diane Littlejohn, who is a 2010 graduate of NCCU School of Law. And she is also the inaugural executive director of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center. And we have attorney Cedric Pickett, who is a 2018 graduate of NCCU School of Law. And he currently serves as, the, as one of our tech law fellows of the Tech Center. He also oversees the privacy and data specialization of the Tech Center. We're gonna have to take a quick break. We hope you stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Kiana Woods, and I'm a third-year law student at the North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your Community Spotlight. Attention all coffee lovers, join Tasting at 10 in Durham for a free coffee tasting. On Friday, September 1st, from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., Counter Culture Coffee is hosting a coffee tasting to allow the community to taste and learn about their high-quality, sustainable source menu. This event will be held at the Countercultures Coffee Training Center located on 812 Mollard Avenue, Durham, North Carolina, 27701, and is free to the public. This is Kiana Woods with the Legal Eater Review. Thank you for listening. And we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking this hour about law, the legal profession, and the intersection with those fields and technology. We've been talking this hour with attorney Diane Littlejohn, the executive director of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center and a proud 2010 graduate of NCCU School of Law, and attorney Cedric Pickett, one of the tech law fellows of the Tech Center 
and a proud 2018 graduate of NCCU School of Law. So many of our listeners, um, most of whom are probably not lawyers, but have an interest certainly in the legal issues that we talk about weekly on this show, um, many are potentially interested in law school or know uh, individuals within their lives, family, friends who may be interested in law school. And as you two are wonderful products of this fine institution, we wanted to ask you, what advice would you give someone who is interested in becoming a lawyer? And, and of course, that journey begins with going to law school. And so, Attorney Pickett, let's start with you. If you're interested in becoming a lawyer, um, I would uh, advise, depends on how soon they are in this process. If you're just now graduating from you know, your undergraduate program, um, I want you to take into consideration that uh, you don't have to have a particular type of degree unless you want to get into patent law. So don't feel like that's going to be a barrier, um, especially if you want to get into technology law and what we're doing here at our center. You don't have to have a, a strong tech background. I just have to have an interest in in the subject subject matter. Um, so uh, go ahead and take the LSAT. Uh, make sure you've done well in your grades. And um, and if you and once you are, you know, if you have been accepted to the uh, to a program, um, uh, you know, you definitely want to work hard, uh, do all your readings. And um, when it comes to uh, if you want to become a data privacy attorney, I highly recommend that you uh, take a look into getting a certification data privacy certification. So and this is even if you've already are a lawyer and you want to move into the data privacy practice. Um, you, you, what you'll notice is that more employers are requiring that you have some type of data privacy certification. The most popular one is the uh, Certified Information Privacy Professional, uh, which is offered by the International Association of Privacy Professionals, also known as IAPP. So the IAPP has several certifications related to data privacy. You have the CIPP US, um, which is focused on data privacy laws in the United States, of course. Then you have the CIPPE, which is focused on data privacy laws in Europe. And then you also have the CIPM, which focuses on high-level data privacy practices on the management level. And you have the CIPT, which is really more of a technical certification. Um, uh, the, the most common certification is the CIPP US. And uh, if you want to do, if you're interested in that, um, in our institution, I teach a class uh, that helps uh, prepare students uh, to take that certification. Um, and then we also have uh, programs uh, for our, our alums or our professionals who are interested in earning that certification. We'll have that built out as well, where uh, you can take advantage of, of that certification to help you transition into a data privacy practice. Um, Anything else? Uh, yeah, make sure that you work with your networks um, and uh, attend data privacy organization and conferences. And that's a lot of things that will be done on our end that we can help you in our data privacy specialization in getting you into those type of networks so that you can stand out amongst your peers and operate in that field. And I think it's worth underscoring what you've already talked about in terms of the importance of having diverse voices and perspectives in the data field. And of course, when I graduated from law school, when Irv graduated from law school, um, Diane and Cedric, you know, of course, data was um, an, an issue. It's just becoming increasingly 
important because it is uh, what is being gathered oftentimes without our knowledge. Um, mm -hmm. And Attorney Pickett, as you mentioned, it has an impact on so many areas of our lives down to advertisements that you get, um, the mm -hmm. mortgage rate that you get, whether you mm -hmm. will actually be considered for jobs. And yeah. so one of the reasons why we have the specialization that you're doing a fabulous job leading is because of the importance of this area and the need for diversity. So thank you for um, talking about the programming that we do in that space and all the work that you're doing in that space. And um, yes. Director Littlejohn, so your advice, and um, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question because you do, you provide a lot of support for our students who are looking for jobs. And you've already mentioned that many of the students don't realize the varied opportunities that have opened up, jobs that didn't exist when I graduated from law school, um, jobs that continue to emerge that we may not have even considered you know, five years ago. So as you talk about advice, um, you can also talk about the, the employment support. If you don't, I'll ask you that follow-up question. So first we'll start with the advice. Well, I would say to anyone that's considering law school, make sure that it's really what you want to do. Because your mom, you know, make sure it's not that your your mom wants you to do it, your dad wants you to do it, some family member wants you to do it. Because no one's going to be in that library with you studying until till midnight for that final exam, but you. So make sure it's something that you actually want to do. Um, as far as um, undergrad goes, I, like Attorney Pickett was um, stating previously, there's not really a preferred major. For me, I was a journalism major, so I think the writing portion of that major helped me with my essays and 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 how to, to I guess learn how to write like an attorney writes. So certainly, um, but certainly you know maybe take good writing courses if you're more of a tech person. You can certainly do you know if you're thinking about a patent career, you know getting that STEM background certainly helpful for students. But again, I would also say to you know talk to attorneys, maybe go shadow an attorney if you if you know someone in your in your community. Um, go talk with them, you know, see what being attorneys actually like. I know a lot of minorities don't have access or don't know an attorney or don't know someone that knows an attorney. And a lot of our, a lot of our um, access attorneys is in, you know, kind of more of a, you know, when you need an attorney, you've got, you know, family law issue coming up, you've got a criminal issue. But we don't have like, you know, attorneys in our, in our network. So certainly if you can network with an attorney as a student or a young professional and you're thinking about law school, do that. So to make, to kind of see what the day in the life is like, because you don't want to get into something and pay a lot of money for loans or whatever may have you. It's not something you end up you want, wanting, wanting to do. And as far as, I guess, if you are already in law school or considering going to law school, certainly um, are, you know, again, there are various, varied areas of law you can go into. Um, I, certainly, you know, we we love to have a new attorneys in the tech space, but I've practiced in a, in a myriad of areas. I've practiced in criminal a little bit. I've done a little bit of social security disability. I've done family. I've done trademarks. I've done business stuff. So certainly don't think you are in one little pipeline. You can certainly move around to some degree within the legal profession. And certainly with, with our tech degrees, they are certainly very portable as well. You can, you know, there's chief innovation officer. These positions were not, were not a thing when I was coming out of law school, even in 2010. You know, there's data privacy positions that are, that are, upcoming more and more and more we have you know this the upcoming metaverse this ai stuff is growing exponentially so we're going to need attorneys that are going to be well versed in ai ethics um things of, things of that nature so a part of my role at the center is to kind of advise students and to help students find these jobs so certainly um make sure that you get strong internships make strong connections network um so essentially put your your um your, yourself in the best place to essentially get the the best job you can after law school you know, in, in, in recent months, there's been a lot of uh, conversation 
about some of the uh, dangers of uh, technology, uh, uh, particular with uh, artificial uh, intelligence uh, that's uh, out there. So can you just spend a, a couple of minutes talking about in terms of the, the community and how community people are interfacing with this uh, technology? What are some of the dangers and what are some of the things that uh, people in our community ought to look out for uh, with how uh, technology is being utilized to their detriment. So, when we start with uh, uh, Director Littlejohn, I would say that, um, especially looking at our older community, they may not even understand what AI is or what how it works. I know I talked to my mom about it the other day, and she, you know, asked me to explain to her kind of what it is and what she needs to watch out for. You know, I've heard on the news where folks are using, you know, you know, saying that they're there, you know, they're calling their grandmother, saying that, you know spoofing their child's voice and saying, you know, hey, I'm in jail or I need money and there's grandparents giving them money, but it's really a scam. So certainly I think there needs to be consumer education for especially our, our older community because they don't understand or maybe not or are not well versed in what these things can can and can't do. Um, so certainly I think that um, those are concerns that for our older community especially that we need to make sure that we are um, educating them on. I know that we're having a forum here as um as Dean Dawson mentioned previously, you know, with our, with the community to kind of get um to inform them of, of the pitfalls and the things they need to look out for regarding AI and these new tech tools that are coming up that could certainly be dangerous to our community. And and some of those, as far as the dangers to our community, um, it, it it kind of has me thinking about uh, going back to my my comments earlier about uh, the over surveillance of certain communities. Uh, either for profit uh, or maybe just from the government's perspective, just want to keep an eye out on what you're doing. Um, uh, and so uh, as far as for profit, uh, you know, personal information is very valuable. And I think uh, for certain communities, uh, whether, you know, you're part of the LGBT community, LGBTQ or uh, historically, uh, historically marginalized community like African-American or Latinos, um, those communities can be exploited on ways uh, from government surveillance of facial recognition programs, uh, where if you are uh, some of the, some of these uh, racial facial recognition programs, they're just not built well, um, and they can they can tell one person from another, and um, and there have been some cases where high profile companies that have used these used these um, used this software uh, have have uh, misidentified certain people who did certain crimes. And that can affect certain folks more than harsher than others. I mentioned earlier about jobs and, um, and and maybe other type of opportunities of that nature. And as far as what can be done, uh, one thing is uh, us as a community needs to start demanding more from companies on the private private level. Um, I was doing some reading on how uh, we have to have more language and demand on privacy by design. Uh, privacy by design means that when a company builds a, an app or builds some type of uh, some type of technology, uh, privacy is considered throughout every 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 design phase of it, and also privacy by default, which means that the strictest privacy restrictions are built when you as soon as you get it. You don't have to go in there and manually try to figure out how do I turn off all of these restrictions. Uh, so these are some demands on the on the on the public level that needs to be done, and for us as a community, and also we just need to have tighter legislation on the federal level. Um, so because uh, there are certain things that 
in regards to emerging technologies, the largest hasn't caught up with. Director Littlejohn talked about how uh, some uh, bad actors are using voices to uh, scam people out of their, um, and to, to scam uh, to scam money out of people. Uh, you know, there are some laws in the books, but what does that do with maybe name, images, and likeness? You know, and can people be sued for things like that? Uh, already in the political realm where, you uh, you know, people are faking certain voices and that can that can lead to a whole lot of dangers. You know, it, it gets to a point we already don't trust certain institutions. Right. People don't trust the media. People don't trust certain news. And then when artificial intelligence starts picking up, you don't know if I just saw this video, if this was fake or real in regards to this new pandemic that comes down, then that can be even more damaging. And, uh, you know, imagine if you see multiple voices saying, hey, you should take this pandemic seriously, another one saying it doesn't, they sound like the same person, who should you trust on social media? You don't know who's verified. Uh, and that can really hurt communities where one particular community, they may just get a flu from it. And another community may just get a cold, you know? So um, I think that with the rise of artificial intelligence and how that's uh, really causing confusion on what can be real and what's fake, uh, I think that's something that can be very harmful for our communities. And they also poorly built, poorly designed technologies that hasn't taken African-Americans and other people, uh, other communities in consideration that can end up hurting us on the back end or there's on a financial level or maybe even just our rights uh, from the government. Mm -hmm. And if I can add to, to that, um, two other areas, um, when we think about criminal law and the, again, the use of artificial intelligence. So when we think about predictive policing, so there are these mm -hmm. companies that will take all of the data that, you know, um, focuses on crime within a community and um, come up with determinations as to where the police should go. And this just, you know, creates over-policing within our communities. Um, so utilizing technology in that way that further exacerbates um, criminal justice issues in our community. And kind of related to that, courts utilizing AI for determinations when it comes to probation, when it comes to bonds, um, and are these systems really equitable? And then, of course, you get this issue of this black box, like how is this mm -hmm. algorithm really coming up with the decision? Um, do we know, right? Can we see the algorithms? And this gets back to Attorney Pickett's point about having these private companies and they don't want to um, share what's actually going on and how these decisions are being made because it's proprietary information and that's part yes. of how it is that they make their money. So, um, yeah. you know, just. And, mm -hmm. and even to add to that, um, I was doing some research on neurotechnology and how some courts are uh, looking into the information in the brain and saying, well, based off of certain brain patterns, we can predict what your actions are going to be. And that kind of brings me back to, the old tropes that we had of um, pseudoscience on certain people's brain and whether or not if you are black, you're more likely to do X, Y, Z than, than you know, someone who's white. And, uh, you know, it's not super popular now, but it has been um, in the, you know, it's been percolating in the background, so to speak. And that's also kind of my interest where, as you mentioned, Dean Dawson, some of this technology they're trying to utilize uh, to to get our personal information, make predict make predictions on your criminality and affect your rights as a person compared to other communities. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we have just a, a few minutes left. So do either of you want to share just some some final words for our audience? 
would just say thanks for having me on the on the uh, radio show today. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm a proud 2018 graduate, uh, like it's been stated before, and I look forward to continuing to serve the center. Yes, thank you, um, uh, Professor Joyner and Dean Dawson for inviting me as well. And if you are listening and you're considering uh, law schools, I highly recommend that you consider NCCU School of Law. There are a lot of things that we're doing here that is just not being duplicated at other law schools. Um, and uh, we're, I would say we're ahead of the game, not just from our Technology Law and Policy Center, but just even as an institution, how uh, there's certain, we're making sure that just basic doctrinal classes are are bringing in conversations about emerging technologies and how that affects it as well. So uh, I believe that if you're if you're considering a um, a law school and you want to be um, above your peers in regards to uh, uh, tackling emerging technologies, you also you want to be a leader in the community on, on facing these issues and uh, social justice is part of your passion. Highly consider NCCU School of Law, and uh, we'll we'll happy to to uh, to work with you on that. All right, and thank you both so much for coming back and um, serving NCCU School of Law and being a part of the Tech Center. You all have contributed so greatly for the success that we have experienced, and we are delighted to have you at the school. We certainly appreciate you two taking time out of your busy schedules to be a guest on the Legal Eagle Review. We have attorney Diane Littlejohn. Again, she is the executive director, the inaugural executive director of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center. She also has a private practice where she focuses um, most on trademark law, but she also does other areas as well. And she is a 2010 graduate of NCCU School of Law. And attorney Cedric Pickett, he is one of our tech law fellows at the Tech Center. He holds two CIPP certifications, one for the U.S., one for the EU. He is a CIPP certified trainer and he spearheads our data privacy specialization here at the Tech Center. And he is a proud 2018 graduate of the law school. And of course, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you have enjoyed the show, that you've learned something. If you have any questions, feel free to send us an email. You can reach us at legaleaglereview at nccu.edu. And if you missed this show on Sunday, you can find us on the Legal Eagle Review podcast. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.